We're in Psalm 19. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. But I would like to just take a second and say this is such a beautiful psalm. And it gets so personal toward the end that if you have a moment today, read the whole thing. Really read the whole thing. All right. So starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. Um, I, I would encourage you, as Dean did, to read the entire psalm. This is one of my favorite psalms. <clears throat> and the passage that um, he just read for you is one that I know we tried to emphasize to our daughters, especially um, those, uh, well, that last verse that we, he read today. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is a great reward. <clears throat> we want them to, the understand, to understand the importance of living according to God's word and the value that that has in our lives. Um, I see this, uh, this particular, these particular verses in this psalm as somewhat of a condensed version of a much longer psalm, Psalm 119, that is all about the beauty and the value and the benefits and the qualities of God's Word. But in these few short verses, he's kind of compacted those thoughts, and that's what, what I want to share with you today. Um, there were four preachers who were having a series of theological discussions about the Scripture, and three were always in agreement against the fourth. So it was always three to one. One, one said, one of the pastors said, well, majority rules. In other words, we're right, you're wrong. <clears throat> The losing minister decided to appeal to a higher authority. Oh God, he cried, I know in my heart that I am right and they are wrong. Please give me a sign to prove it to them. And it was a beautiful sunny day. And as soon as the preacher finished his prayer, a storm cloud moved across the sky above the four of them. It rumbled once and dissolved. A sign from God. See, I'm right. I knew it. But the other three disagreed pointing out that storm clouds form on hot summer days. So the preacher prayed again, Oh God, I need a bigger sign to show that I am right and they are wrong. Please, God, a bigger sign. This time, four storm clouds appeared, rushing towards each other to form one big cloud, and a bolt of lightning slammed into a tree on a nearby hill. I told you I was right, cried the preacher. But his friends insisted that that was that nothing had happened that could not be explained by natural causes. The preacher was getting ready to ask for a very big sign. But just as he said, Oh God, 
The sky turned pitch black, the earth shook, and a deep booming voice said, He's right! The preacher put his hands on his hips, turned to the other three and said, Well, so shrugged one of the other preachers, now it's three to two. Um, that's a caution, really, in that little story of an error that we must not fall into. The error of putting God's Word on equal level with man's Word. Spiritual truth is not determined by taking a vote. In fact, if 1,000 people agree with us, it makes no difference unless we agree with God. So where do we discover spiritual truth? You can say something, it's okay, yeah. Thank you, Bernice, I heard that voice. Remember the Bereans in in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, Paul comes and shares this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says the Bereans were a little more noble people than others that Paul had shared the truth of the gospel with. And it says they went home and searched the scriptures to, to be sure that Paul was speaking the truth. Wow. So they didn't go home and have a debate. They didn't read, um, you know, some well-known Christian writer's latest book. They went home and searched the Scriptures because they knew that's where the truth was. And if what Paul said lined up with what the Scripture said, then they could receive it as the truth. Our own article of faith from our Nazarene manual, it's our, our part of our doctrinal statements, says this. This is the one on the Scripture. We believe in the plenary inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. In other words, the entirety. The, the, the entirety of the Bible. We believe it was inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit. By which we understand the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments given by divine inspiration inerrantly revealing the will of God concerning us in all things necessary to salvation, so that whatever is not contained therein, whatever is not in the Scripture, we will not consider an article of faith. We would never make an article of faith if it isn't backed up in the Scriptures. That's what that's saying. And I think it's interesting that we have this statement that says, inherently revealing, revealing the will of God concerning us in all things necessary to our salvation. That's where the Bible is really clear about things. Here is what it means to be saved. Here's how you're saved. And here's how you live when you're saved. But we're talking in our Sunday school class this morning and in past weeks about some things that... Uh, Debatable issues. You know, things uh, like we're talking about creation. Oh, we definitely be, believe God's created, God created, but there's a lot of Christians out there who believe different things about when or how God did that. And our church does not have a clear statement regarding that. Um, the end times. 
Our church does not have a clear statement on pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Uh, uh, I had a college professor that says he was a pan-millennialist. He believed everything would pan out in the end. <laughs> okay, those are things that are not necessary for salvation. But the Bible is very clear about the things that are necessary. You, you get into some of these other areas, and again, it's oh, open to so... I mean, how many books have been written about the end times and when Jesus will be back? And Well, you know what I'm talking about. Um, to kind of encompass that, that statement, that doctrinal statement, a little maybe what we call less theological terms, the Bible is a collection of books that teach us about the truth about who God is, what He has done for us, and how He wants us to live. Through the Holy Spirit, God prompted human authors to write down His Word, and He guided their minds and hearts as they wrote. Yeah. So we're going to talk this morning um, about the Scripture. Uh, the psalmist here gives an account of the excellent qualities and uses of God's Word. There are six titles of the Word of God along with several good properties of that Word and the effects that that Word has on the hearts and minds of man, showing what it is designed to do or the benefits that the Word of God can have in our lives. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, honey. The word Bible commentary says this, we needn't look for too many distinctions between the various words David uses here in Psalm 19 to describe the Word of God. From a poetic perspective, these terms may seem, be seen as synonymous. Though from a theological perspective, they may be seen as all-embracing. In every sense and dimension, the Lord's Torah is good. It is perfect, sure, upright, pure, radiant, and true. And because the Scriptures are the Word of the Lord, the communication and revelation of the living God, they have effects on us that are better than anything else we could read or study or watch or listen to. This is it right here. And the first thing we need to notice is that these scriptures have those effects because they are the word of the Lord. Six times in this passage, David uses the phrase of the Lord. That is Yahweh, Jehovah, the God who says, I am that I am. And there is no other. It's His Word. It's the God who created all that is and holds it in being. The God who knows all things that have ever been and ever will be. And who understands perfectly how everything in the universe works from the greatest galaxies to the most subatomic particles that we're still discovering. This God... Our God has spoken to us with laws and statutes and precepts and commands 
and ordinances, and altogether they are the word of the Lord. They are God's revelation to mankind. And it is important. No, it is essential that we know what it says. So, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. You know, that's a term that we use pretty lightly sometimes. We kind of throw around. But I, have you ever taken one of those um, kind of self-exam things that says, you know, um, okay, I don't know, they, bad, better, best, uh, or excellent, you know. I have a hard time marking excellent, you know, on those self-examination things. I have a hard time doing that because I think excellent basically means no room for improvement. Might as well say perfect. And I'm not. And yet, the psalmist says the Word of God is perfect. It is perfect. It means without blemish. It means complete. It means that it's right, it's true, and that everything we need to know is here. It's complete. A man once said that the Bible could not be perfect because God could not use a human being to bring about anything perfect. So he was asked if he thought Jesus Christ was a perfect human being. He said, oh yes, without question. Then he was asked, how did Jesus Christ get on this earth? And he answered, through the Virgin Mary. And the response was, well, apparently God did something perfect through a human being. Yeah. God did something perfect through the writers of the Scripture. It's perfect. It's complete. It's without blemish. And the benefit uh, uh, is, according to the psalmist, it revives the soul. Now, we, there may be different ways of thinking about that term revives. You know, for me, I think my thought would go most quickly kind of to it's a refreshing thing. And I think that's probably true. But the Hebrew word that is translated revives conveys the idea of restoration. In fact, in the New American Standard Bible, that's the word it uses here. Restoring the soul. And it means to turn back or away from. Turn back or away from. Psalm 23, verse 3. He restores my soul. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing or restoring of your mind. It refers to the restoration of our minds to that which God originally intended so that we think scripturally. We think God's way. We quit thinking the world's way. Our minds are restored to that which God intended for us. So, the Scripture says, then we can have the mind of Christ. So we turn back or away from a worldly way of thinking to a godly way of thinking. 
The scripture revives, it restores our souls. It causes us then to change the way we see the world. It helps us see things through God's eyes, through the lens of scripture. Colossians 3, 9 and 10, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed, restored, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. It's a restoration process. That's what the word does in our lives. And then the second half of verse 7, The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The statutes are trustworthy. The Hebrew root, again, means to build, for that word trustworthy, means to build up or support or to foster as a parent would. In other words, it oversees our lives. It's like we can trust the, the, the counsel of a parent who, who is genuinely interested in fostering our growth. The, the, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. They're intended to build up and support us, which is what a good parent wants to do for their child. Amen? And the benefit of that is that it makes us wise. Not smart. Not intellectual. It makes us wise. Deuteronomy 4.6 Speaking of God's law, God is speaking to His people there, Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Why? Because of the Scripture. Psalm 119, the expanded version of Psalm 19. Verse 130, The unfolding of your words gives light, it gives understanding, wisdom, to the simple. Now, we, in God's sight, we're all simple, aren't we? We're all simple. And yet the scripture tells us in Ephesians 3, 10, and 11, and this is from the New Living Translation, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display His wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was His eternal plan, which He carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. We are to display the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God comes through the truth of God. Thank God. Verse 8. All of His precepts are right. Psalm 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all He does. Psalm 119, verse 120. The longest chapter in the Bible. More verses than, yeah. Psalm 119, 128. And because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. The word right here, precepts are right, Again, comes from a Hebrew word, the word right, that means the straight way. 
Psalm 23, He leads me in paths of righteousness. God's Word will never lead us astray, but rather in the way we should go, the straight way. His precepts are right. Isaiah 30, verse 21, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the straight way. And, the God, and God says that through, how does God most consistently speak to us? Clue, yeah. That's the voice you'll hear behind you saying, this is the straight way, walk in it. Psalm 119, 138. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. They will lead me in the straight way. And the benefit? The psalmist says, they give joy to the heart. Again, from Psalm 119, verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I don't think I... I'm working to have that attitude. Aren't you? Whoa, your word, yes! Keep the riches, I'll take your word. It is a joy to know that you are walking in the right way. In the straight way, the way that is pleasing to God. That should bring joy to our hearts. And if you're walking in this way, Your ultimate destination is one of complete joy. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Eternal joy awaits. So if we find joy in keeping God's commandments now, His statutes, His precepts, His ordinances, we have then this promise of eternal joy. And then it goes on in this verse to say, His commands are radiant. Uh, The word used here in most translations, if you look in other translations of the Bible, this is from the NIV that I'm reading here. It says that His commands are pure. So the idea here is, you've uh, you've read in the Scriptures, um, you know, these visions of Jesus and these uh, dazzlingly white robes, this radiant light. It's pure! Right? It's pure. Psalm 12, verse 6 can help us understand the connection between radiant and pure. It says, The words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Here's the connection. Silver refined to that extent would be considered pure. And as such would have a glow or would be vividly bright. It would display a radiance that impure silver would not. It was said that when silver had been refined to this point, that one could see the reflection in it. Commands of the Lord are radiant. 
They're pure. And here's the benefit. They give light to the eyes. Well, obviously, there's light coming into the eyes at that point, if you're talking about radiance. In fact, this word has a double meaning. It, mean, it can mean light the way. There's this bright light that lights us. The, the Word of God lights the way for us. And it lights up the eyes as when they sparkle. It's like the light, you know, we talk about the light came on. Boom! I get it! And that's what the... So the Word of God lights the way, but it, as we bring it into our lives, it's like, oh, yes! Yes, I get it. It's the light of truth and guidance. It's the light of revelation and encouragement. See, we are made by these commandments to see what is right and proper in God's eyes, to understand what we should do. There is a scripture that talks about God's Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. They show us the way to go. In Luke chapter 11... Jesus said, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole, whole body is filled with light. But when it is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. There's a lot of things being offered as light out there today. Huh? We are seeking to be enlightened, aren't we? Oh, yes. I have been enlightened. We talked about that in Sunday school too. We're a lot smarter than the people who wrote the scripture. It's called, uh, according to C.S. Lewis, chronological snobbery. As humanity has advanced, we've gotten a lot smarter. And so all these traditions and, and standards that people held in the past, well, we're enlightened now. And we know better. <laughs> God's word is unchanging. He knew what we would be like in 2018. He wrote the scripture as much for us as he did for the guys 2,000 or 3,000 or 5,000 years ago. You know what? At the heart, humanity has not changed a whit. Right? So, if you're going to be enlightened, let it be through the word of God. If you're filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. There it is. Just take it in. Little, little light shine. Ephesians 5, 8 and 9. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. Radiance. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Oh, boy, that sounds pretty cool. Doesn't it? The commands of the Lord are radiant. They are like light. And then it goes on in verse uh, verses 9 and 10. Um. These are almost descriptors of the word, not, not talking so much about the benefits, but kind of talking about the qualities of God's word. 
The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Now, some commentators say, well, the word fear here is just a synonym that David is using again for the scripture. Um, It's an unusual word to be used, but that's the way the psalmist chose to use it here. And and, and it's supposedly synonymous for the law because its purpose was to put fear into human hearts and thus impact the way we live. That's what he said. Now, we're not meaning that kind of fear. We're meaning reverential fear. We're meaning awe of God. We're meaning this is the truth and this is I need to live by it. You see what I'm saying? So the fear, the reverential uh, awe of God and His Word then motivates us to live according to His Word. That's the point He's trying to make here. Um, You will honor that which you respect which you have reverential awe or respect for. And it applies to God in His Word. Deuteronomy 4.10 Remember the day you stood before the Lord, your God, at Mount Horeb, when the Lord said to me, this is Moses speaking, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear, to revere me, God speaking again, all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. So it's a, I have enough fear, reverential fear, respect for God that I'm going to pass this on to my kids too. And hopefully to their kids. You know, back in the, when this was written, I mean, you know, it's pretty awesome uh, to have three generations of a family living at the same time in our day and age. Back then it wasn't that unusual. I mean, you could pass it on to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids and maybe even your great-great-grandkids because people just tended to live a little longer. And that was God's intent. In fact, some of the commentators say one of the reasons people lived so long during, previous to the patriarchs was because they, so that they could... There weren't that many godly people, so they wanted the ones who did revere God to be able to pass those things on to generation to generation to generation. It was the fear of the Lord. And David writes of the fear of the Lord, it's enduring forever, it endures forever. David's telling us that this word of God is a permanent foundation for human life. Psalm 110, verse 10. Psalm 110, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. Isaiah 33, 6. He will be a sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. And then, in that same verse, verse 10. Excuse me, verse 9. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteousness. So, Altogether righteous. So they're sure and they're altogether righteous. Uh, I found this illustration that says, the, de- the degree of accuracy maintained in the space program is illustrated by a, st- uh, by a statement that Werner von Braun made some years ago. Remember von Braun? He was kind of the rocket man. Um, he worked for the Nazi regime before we brought him to America to help us develop rockets for the space program. 
He said, the Saturn V, and that's been some years ago now, the Saturn V has 5,600,000 parts. Even if we had a 99.9% reliability, there would still be 5,600 defective parts. I don't want to go up in a rocket that has that many defective parts. Yet the Apollo 4 mission flew a textbook flight with only two anomalies occurring, demonstrating a reliability of 99.99999%. If an average automobile with 13,000 parts were to have that same level of reliability, it would have its first defective part in about 100 years. We'd hate that. Because you would never be able to trade off your car. I mean, nothing would be wrong with it. So, the question is, if man can make 5,600,000 parts with almost no errors, why can't the Bible be without error? The Word of God is a sure Word. It's accurate, it's correct, it's right, and you can depend on it. And because they are the words of God, they are altogether righteous. Then he goes on to say, in verse 10, they are more precious than gold. You know what? The most precious things, the most valuable things, he's saying, are not the things of this earth. They're the eternal things and God's Word is eternal. The, the valuable things are the things that last forever. The things on this earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. Psalm 119, verse 72, The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. I'd like to have that attitude too. <clears throat> then he says, and they're sweeter than honey. So they're more precious than gold, and they're sweeter than honey. I love honey. Her too, but the other kind. I love the other kind. I, uh, our oldest daughter got me uh, this, I like black tea. And she got me, there's a tea shop in Fort Collins, she bought, bought me English breakfast, Irish breakfast and Scottish breakfast black tea and a jar of honey because I like to put honey in my tea. This is, this is Brazilian honey. And I told Julie, you know, I'll put some in my tea then I'll dip some out of the jar and just... <laughs> because, and I think it has to me there's some flavors in that honey like I think maybe guava or mango that I can taste in there. Just some, you know, I'm used to clover honey or something like that, but I can taste these different flavors in there. Actually, I just want to put my spoon down in it. Like, you know, a Pooh Bear or something. That had the honey jar stuck on his nose. Huh? One of the prophets said, your words came and I ate them. Now, He's not talking about literally eating. He's not talking about taste as in things we eat. 
Like, he's talking about, well, that particular, you know, um, I'm invited to go to a, a gathering of science. That just doesn't suit my taste. You know what I'm saying? Okay? It's not my preference. I'm not talking about this kind of taste. I'm talking about what I prefer or what I enjoy. Sweeter than honey. Is the Word of God like that to us? Does it suit our taste? Psalm 119.103 How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey in my mouth. So he's making those, kind of bringing those two thoughts together right there. Here's what it means. They're soul satisfying. They're soul satisfying. And then he, then he finishes up this passage with two benefits. Really important. This is one that we used to emphasize to our daughters. Two incredible benefits of God's word. Number one, we are warned. We're warned. Here's, God says, don't do this. Do, do this. We're warned. And if you, if you do the things you're not supposed to do, and don't do the things you are supposed to do, there's going to be problems. There's going to be problems. Yes, he does. A certain man had designed uh, a plan to poison Martin Luther. But he was thwarted by a friend who sent Luther a portrait of the man along with a warning to avoid him. By this, Luther knew the murderer, he knew what he looked like, and escaped his hands. Thus, the Word of God shows us the face of these sins, desires, and temptations which Satan uses to destroy our souls so we can avoid the murderer. That's basically what it's saying there. We are warned by the Scriptures. Back, way back in Deuteronomy... God's laying it out. Blessings or curses. That's what he's saying. Blessings or curses. Here it is. I'm going to lay it out for you today. Deuteronomy 28.15 However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees I I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And you can read the verses following Deuteronomy 28.15 to find out what those curses are. But God was warning them. Let, let's be fair here. Here's, I, I want you to know. And that's what the Scripture does for us. You know, we got a lot of people in our world that are living under the curse of sin, and it, and it uh, manifests itself in a lot. Those things manifest themselves in a lot of ways. Ruined relationships. That's a huge one. Sometimes physical issues. Because you've chosen not to listen to God and just to do your own thing. I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and there, there is, to the, to the nation, God is saying in Deuteronomy 28, listen, if you choose not to do what I tell you to do, here, here's, here's what's going to happen. <clears throat> that's, here's the good part. The other benefit. Oh, actually, that's good too. Uh, don't you like it? I mean, you know, I've seen in the news in places in Colorado and other places where people have walked out on the ice and, bloop. Hmm? 
caution. Thin ice. That's what God's telling us. Caution. Thin ice. And if you go there, it's very likely you're going to break through and the result is not good. Some people get saved out of that. Some people don't. They slide on under there and they... Mm, not a pretty picture. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Again, in Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And again, I'll let you read the, the verses that follow that down to, what, what was the verse 15 where it starts the warning part? God lists all these blessings that the people will enjoy if they'll just be obedient to His Word, to His law, to His precepts, to His commands, to His ordinances. If they will fear Him, have reverential awe for Him. Here's what we told our daughters, and I know there are many more. Uh, well, there's a list in Deuteronomy, but there are many more things that... May, how about this? Here's a reward. Clear conscience. Ooh. Julie, when she was in nurse's training, went to uh, a state mental hospital in eastern Idaho. And one of the psychologists or psychiatrists there told them, a lot of these people, their issue is guilt. It's driven them over the edge. They don't have a clear conscience. Have you ever thought about that? A clear conscience? What a great reward. You don't have to, number two, and that is a consequence, I guess, but you don't have to deal with the consequences of sin. That's a great reward. And you can probably think of a lot of other things that are great rewards of being obedient. In keeping them, there is great reward. Do we believe that? See, we've been encouraged not to believe that. It's like, man, God's Word and the things He tells us in His commands and precepts and ordinances and on all those other synonymous terms are a straitjacket. They're meant to ruin your fun and make you miserable on this earth. So just cast those things off. Wrong. It's freedom. Yeah. The Word of God. Believers should find freedom and, courage and encouragement in the knowledge that God has provided all the absolutely authoritative instruction they need in order to know Him and live as He intends. God's people should never fear that He has withheld something they might need from Him in order to say, this is how we please God. Or that he will somehow, at some point, and we see, we've seen this happening, there have been other religions rise up, or that he will somehow supplement his word with new instructions for some new situation 
that arises in the modern age. I think that kind of takes us back to the chronological snobbery idea. Well, obviously, this isn't all we need. We've got to add something to it. Because look at the world we live in now. Therefore, believers should be satisfied with what Scripture teaches and with what it leaves unsaid. The Scripture says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of His law. Deuteronomy 29.29. That's from the... English Standard Version. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank Him. Thank you, God, for Your Word. And we have it in abundance. I mean, I've got every translation I'm interested in having on the shelves of my uh, bookshelves in there. I've even got the older version of the NIV and the newer version of the NIV. And I've got NLT and the Living Bible and the New Living Translation and NASB and, and a Common English Bible and, and, and Phillips and King James. And when you think about how blessed we are to have it so readily available, uh, what's that? Dave had us saying on his blackboard about how many people observe Christmas but how few people observe God's precepts, something to that effect. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I was walking, uh, there's still people that have their Christmas lights up. If you drive around town, you know, they used to say that was something rednecks did. They just lift them up all year round so they wanted to put them back up again, but I don't know. But I often wonder, people who decorate their houses, do they even understand? I mean, is, is that just what you do at Christmas because everybody else does? Do we understand the, even the significance? It goes back to our celebration, but really not understanding what this is about. We celebrate Christmas, but we don't obey God's precepts. We, well, my prayer is that we do. His commands, His precepts, His ordinances, His commands, His law, because... We've been told today in the scripture the incredible benefits of being true to God's word. And may he bless us as we seek to be obedient to the truth of scripture. Father, we thank you today that we have this truth. We can hold it in our hands. I mean, Father, what I hold in my hands today is a study Bible. It's not only the scripture, but all these helps that that are intended to to, to help me understand what you're saying through your truth, through your scriptures, through your commands, your ordinances, your law, your precepts, uh, all those synonymous terms that David used to describe the truth of scripture. And help us to love it more deeply and practice it more consistently. May it be more precious to us than gold. May it be sweeter to us than honey. May we love the fact that it warns us and love the fact that we are rewarded by keeping it. And Father, I pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, grace and peace. Be safe, careful as you go home. We'll see you next Sunday. You're dismissed.